This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's the Titterpigs. And now it's time for Titterpigs, the RPG podcast. So am I getting paid for this? Hey everybody, welcome back to episode 3 of Titter Pigs. Ta-da! We made it! <laughs> we and you survived episode 2 and our recent interview with Ian and Alex from Critical Hit Publishing. So first off, thank you for listening to both episode 2 and that interview. Our listens, can't call them views because this is a podcast, so our listen numbers are good, so thank you very much. Absolutely, absolutely. You made a... For everyone who went to drive through and picked up Ian and Alex's game, I hope you enjoyed yourselves over the spookiness of Halloween and know that you made a wonderf- wonderfully positive impact on, on both of them to the point where they are coming out with, you know, games quicker. There's, there's another one coming out soon that, that I've, you know, given the top secret look at. Uh, well, actually, just shh, shh, don't don't tell everybody. Well, just it actually, it was just it was just a premise from like three in the morning uh, from from Ian. <laughs> but that counts, right? That counts. It's top uh, secret. <laughs> well, yeah, no, it, it's it, it, we are we've made it through episode three, and you know we we've done an interview. We we've we've passed the. I think it's two episodes that podcasts usually die in the wild. I think that's what uh, what I've been been told. If you make it past the second one, you know you you, you might survive to at least ten. Uh, but, uh, we, we, well, hey, we, we, we're good now, right? <laughs> well, we're good. No, we're golden. Uh, we will be monetized. Keith, you and I can retire before we're 55, um, and, and, and live, sweet. live off that sweet, sweet anchor cash. Um, <laughs> great. I'm going to live in a Frigidaire box down on the street corner. Lovely. Oh, oh, you know, <laughs> but, um, so yeah. And, um, so it's been a while. Uh, you know, you, you've been extremely busy. Uh, I myself have also. It's, it's been one of those kind of everyone's anticipating these coming holiday months to be a bit of a, a bind, whether it be with work, family, both. It's just certain things are getting back to normalcy. And so the, the abundance of time that we used to have for gaming just isn't around, especially in your particular case. But that doesn't mean that we haven't made some time for it. So what have you been up to, Keith? What's 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 something that uh, what's a highlight that you've done as far as in the world of gaming? Besides my lack of gaming, <laughs> which is which has been ever present lately, unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, the big highlight for me since the the last time we recorded was uh, this actually this past weekend, Grog Meet Ish twenty twenty one. That is that has been my big highlight. I was able to play three games at this online convention. Fantastic games with mm-hmm. great players, great GMs. I got to play 
two, one new system, new to me system, one system, a variation of it I've never played before, and mm -hmm. then Call of Cthulhu, a Japanese scenario translated into English and then run in English. Ooh. Which is, uh, I believe, to our understanding, we are the first Americans, uh, well, I shouldn't say Americans, first English-speaking players to actually play this all-Japanese-language scenario uh, that has been translated into English. Well, what, what were the other two that you played? I mean, and, and how, you know, that's a lot of gaming. So, I mean... Uh, uh, I game for 13 hours straight oh, with very little breaks. <laughs> good Lord. So the first game was uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics, but it was the Lankmar variation. Mm -hmm. uh, I found that to be quite enjoyable. Vanilla Dungeon Crawl Classics just kind of bores me. Okay. But I did like this Lankmar variation. I found it intriguing. The decreased number of classes, the connection to the other players, uh, mm -hmm. a little bit more intimacy with the setting. I, I, just, I just found it better. Right. Even though it was a very short uh, third level story. Uh, it was it was fun. Yeah, the the DCC Lankmar box set and the rule set uh, they they've spent a lot of time and research um, gathering the information together to give a proper treatment of the the Lankmar setting and they did and a good I, job in my opinion. Yeah, I haven't it, played DCC in years. It does flip the the DCC standard thing on on its back a little bit and and gives you a like you said it's not as I mean, I wouldn't call DCC setting vanilla, but vanilla DCC, yes. Your standard DCC Gonzo. Uh, right. You know, and, that, maybe, and that's what I mean. I yeah. mean, DCC as a system is good. Mm -hmm. It's just I felt the original game was uh, going from one scenario to the next was very disparate. They were very disconnected. There was no flow. Yeah. The, it just ah, it just I, didn't connect with me, but you know, that was I, me. I'm trying my best to stop all the DCC Rabbit fans sending you emails, but you know, I know whatever. You know, you just you, you deal with you, you've dug your grave. I've dug my grave. <laughs> uh, there's piles of dirt up. You guys can send emails, voicemails. Yeah. You know, anchor.fm slash titterpigs. Hit the record message button and send yes. me voicemails. It's great. Jen, Jen Brinkman, I will send you Keith's private email so you can discuss <laughs> it with them directly. Um, no, but yeah, yeah. Lankmar is fantastic and it's well supported. It was great. I enjoyed yeah. it. I, yeah. I really did. It actually reinvigorated me to, to play a little more DCC, but mm -hmm. I'd like to play more on the Lankmar side oh, of things. Oh, yeah. And so, your second one was? Uh, was the new Twilight 2000 4th edition uh, from I, Free I, League. Oh, why are you playing that trash? Everyone says, "Hey, hey, hey, hey!" You're digging your own grave. <laughs> Actually, it's it was quite enjoyable. It's got a lot of things that I personally can connect with. I'm I'm retired military, mm -hmm. so I can connect with like you and I have talked before. I've talked with some other people that back the Kickstarter. Uh, now that it's delivering, you know, there's things in this game because it's modern. There's touchstones, things that we can connect with as people of the modern age, right? The different guns, different weapons, different movies that feature these topics and these tropes and themes. So it's, it's easier for people to connect with and I can really connect with it. I, I like it. Mm -hmm. And the group I played with, it was just fantastic. I loved it. And it works really well with the Year Zero engine. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and then my third game was the Call of Cthulhu. Uh, the scenario itself was uh, Treason Against the Lord. It's from a, as I said, a Japanese language Call of Cthulhu book. It's right. a set of three scenarios uh, that have never before been translated into English. Our game master, Tristan, who you and I both know, yes. has mm -hmm. translated the first two of the three uh, into English, and mm -hmm. he has run the first two, and he is... 
his intention is to translate the third and then run that as well. Oh. I've played just the second. I did not play the first part. So that, that begs a question then. You know, you're, you're well-versed. You know, you've got a solid uh, Call of Cthulhu and also horror background in games. I, is there something in that particular Japanese stylized uh, game that, that stands out differently from your other you know, standardized Call of Cthulhu adventures that, that just makes it different as far, instead of, aside from just the translation of it? Yes, and if you and, and, if, no. <laughs> and if you and if you and if you say yes, a lot of tentacles. Then I've got uh, the beat button here, just in case. So go on. Uh, uh, I, I want to say yes and no. <laughs> I mean, it's it, stylistically, it's completely different. It this is feudal Japan, so it. But oh, okay. So, so it, right then and there, it turns a lot of things on its ah on its head. Okay. Uh, this is not classic era Call of Cthulhu or modern era anything. This is feudal Japan. So dealing with the, for me as somebody who has a historical background, Mm -hmm. because I have oodles of college degrees, but not having a good firm grounding in that time period, Mm -hmm. I was kind of lost, you know, in the feudal Japan era, but Mm -hmm. it was fun nonetheless. I I, I mean, I know what the different weapons are. I, I get the concepts and some of the tropes. It's definitely more subtle. Right. The the horror rising is more subtle, uh, but there are very big differences. Okay. Uh, especially with that time period versus, say, classic era. Okay. I would I would be interested as as an American English speaker to play like a Japanese language scenario set in say the the classic era, the nineteen twenties or thirties. That would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Having a good firm grounding in other classic era scenarios. Right. Okay. So well, that, that that sounds interesting, and I I can almost hear the uh, the calls of the of the masses if, for anyone who hears this of I want a copy of that scenario <laughs> uh, because I mean you know it's it's Call of Cthulhu is what it is the biggest role playing game tabletop role playing game in Japan right absolutely a- and is, yeah. Call of Cthulhu with its rabid fan base always looking for something new. Would yep. love to get their hands on on some some Japanese or or, or other non English language only scenarios, and that's you know, people love that. And so so Tristan, forty five dollars an hour um, is what you can charge to uh to you know you 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 know your your time is valuable. Um, so make sure story. you make 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 sure that you charge accordingly for these scenarios. Uh, well, technically you can't resell them, but anyways, we'll talk after the show. Right. Uh, so, did but, you get the chance to do grog meat? Yes, I, know I, I did. Obviously. Well, yes, yes, I did. Uh, um, interesting story, but we'll get to that in a second. So, but yes, I did run a uh, a, a game for for grog meatish online, and it was uh, it's for liminal. It's it was another go at my. Um, a curious case of the casket girls. It's liminal that takes place in New Orleans. Um, it's my effort to bring the liminal game over to America, and it went off. It went off well. the The four people that I had playing with me were spectacular. It took a definite different turn uh, than the original game that I ran a year ago. Uh, the outcome was generally the same, but what took them there. <laughs> was a different story. Uh, let's see. Um, what's what's a term that let's see that I can best describe it as? Um, oh, let's see. Dumpster fire uh, comes to mind. Uh, shit show. Uh, <laughs> I was wondering if shit show was gonna <laughs> gonna arise. 
but uh, but no, it was it was fantastic. But it, it did it did give me the firm belief that this particular adventure that that I've created is without a doubt a two parter. It's just it's just in order to get the full enjoyment of it, it would I would probably want to if I run it again it would be two parts um, you know two three hour sessions or so, nice. so to, okay well you know as with a con game uh, there's people who are waiting to get to other games and and um, and people and also those in the UK it was getting late it was it was approaching after midnight and as, oh, I know. <laughs> uh, as riveted as they were and uh, it's just you know you're trying to be conscious of that and so you you kind of get to the tail end you don't want to kick it into high gear uh, too much, and you also just don't want to pull the rug out from underneath them. So there's a lot of balance involved. Yeah. So the it went off well. I had a great time, and then after that, it it, it rolled into my uh, ongoing Ash campaign, which I've been playing in for two years now. Come to find out, that's fantastic. And uh, which which went well. Um, I've created a new character for the Ash campaign. My uh, lawful good paladin had taken off so to speak and uh is currently um missing in action and so i had the opportunity oh shucks darn yeah so i had the opportunity to to create a new character who is you know a in in the in the aspect of the ash campaign a lawful evil necromancer so i get to to flip the coin now and uh oh yeah you do and 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 scratch those evil places well, we may awesome. edit that out too, uh, but uh, but no, it's <laughs> so that's 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 it. I mean, I I've I've been in, in other things. My ongoing uh, masks campaign is hopefully going to be picking back back up again. There's been scheduling issues, but but Grog Meadish was 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 wonderful. And at the Good. end, at the end of it, uh, there was this well wonderful set of videos provided by Pookie uh, to to essentially address my uh, my mention of uh, my fomo in regards to uh, not being there physically uh, with with all the wonderful people but uh, you can check that out uh, on my twitter if if anyone's curious so what scott is saying is without saying it is pookie trolled him and it was fantastic <clears throat> so you can go online uh, over to twitter Look at Scott's Twitter, mm-hmm. and you can see all the videos. They're fantastic. All the folks that attended Grog Meet that Pookie could wrangle into recording like ten second videos, and he posted them to Twitter and tagged Scott. It was great, fantastic. He got trolled, and it was beautiful. Yes, yes. So, so. Um, as mad as I want to be, it's it's the you know the it's it's. What's that term? It's the thought that counts. So yes, I, and it was a wonderful thought. So I, thank you, Pooh. Yes, you made my day. <laughs> and everybody that was part of those recordings, from all the folks at the Grog Pod and our friends that hang at the Mitchester Arms, and and everybody involved. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was fantastic. Yes. Yes. So. So yeah. So that's that was. I guess that that kind of in a nutshell describes our weekend. Um, yeah, it does. So, but um, so with that, before we move on to the next segment, uh, just want to take a, a quick moment and um, thank everybody. Uh, we we've been getting some feedback in. Uh, we've been getting some emails. We've been getting some voice messages. We've been getting some sound bites attached to the emails. And so, thank you. Uh, please keep this feedback coming. Uh, this this we is love a, it. This is the kind of stuff that allows us to come up with certain top topics, address certain things regarding our previous episodes. And this is this is what's going to keep the podcast going is is the wonderful feedback that we're getting. 
whether it be through the emails, through comments on, on the uh, podcast itself, um, you know, phone messages. Um, I don't know how you found my private number, but, you know, please lose it after you send me a message. <laughs> um, but, I might uh, have something to do with that. <laughs> But yeah, so so, and we're going to we're going to touch base on some of those uh, in another segment of the podcast here coming up. So uh, we look forward to that. But yes, keep them coming. Um, no, we may not be able to address them all that we get in a single episode, but we will definitely um, you know address them one way or another, uh, whether it be through the podcast itself or through other means, uh, you know, involving the podcast. So thank yep. you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So I think that rolls us into our next segment. Oh, absolutely. So we're going to move from our little introduction here to our main segment, which is a, a topic near and dear to my heart. We're going to delve into uh, a little bit of product quality, uh, kind of at a high level, but um, I, I, I will probably get up on my soapbox a little bit. Uh, it's something I'm passionate about, especially when it comes to editing and uh, physical quality, but um, I know Scott's a little passionate about it too. True. So with that, let's head on over to the next segment. We'll see you there. All right, so we are now into the main segment of episode three. So we have all gotten role-playing game books. You have, we have... Everybody has. So there are certain things that we expect when we get a book. You know, we expect it to be, if we order a hardcover book, we expect it to be a hardcover. You know, we expect certain levels of editing, certain levels of artistic composition, certain quality considerations by the publisher. So why are we talking about this? Well, I recently backed the Kickstarter, as did Scott, and we both got the same book. Scott, why don't you tell us about that version of the book that you okay. got? Well, the book in question is, is Flames of Freedom. Uh, it was something that we kickstarted a while ago. It comes to us from uh, Daniel Fox. And um, who, who's the publisher again? Uh, it's I'm drawing a blank on Andrew McMeal. 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 All right. So anyways, so the book arrived. And, um, you know, I started flipping through the book. And as I'm going through it page, you know, page by page, and I, in fact, started reading into it, I, I hit a segment of the book where several of the pages, the color tone uh, was off. Uh, there's, there's a particular palette in this whole book that uh, is coherent. And several of these pages were just often muted, not just in color, but in tone, uh, almost, almost as if like a, a blur had occurred, you know, or not enough ink was injected into this, particular, in, into this particular page, whatever the case may be. I'm not a printer, but it was off. And I immediately started thinking, well, I mean, does, does it ruin the usability of the book? Not really, but, you know, we, we all pay good money for these things, especially Kickstarters. You know, Kickstarters tend to be a little bit more expensive than your normal book because you're getting special editions, you're adding on things. So you, you, you put forth your hard-earned money and you expect to get what you pay in return. And so I contacted Keith and others to, to, to address this. Did anyone else have these issues? And lo and behold, I mean, Keith didn't, but others did. Exactly. I, I didn't. I looked at the same pages in my copy of the same mm -hmm. book, and all of my pages, same page numbers, had the same semi-gloss finish to them, where his had, because I saw the pictures, mm -hmm. right, had, they were, they were matte finished. They didn't have the semi-gloss 
ink applied to them. Right. Uh, which was very jarring, visually jarring. It is. Um, it is. And I've talked to several others myself that have had, and I've seen the, the visual evidence that have had the same jarring matte finish to those pages. And that's kind of what, what drove us to start having this conversation about right. product quality. Right, because I addressed to Keith. And expectations. Exactly. I, I addressed to Keith. I'm like, am I wrong? I mean, the book itself is still technically usable. There's really nothing, you know, that, that can't be utilized in these pages that are muted in tone. But still, this is, this is a product that I was expecting a, to be of a particular quality level. And, you know, so was I wrong in reaching out to them to say, hey, fix this, replace this? And so that, that began our, you know, the, the beginning of the, of the said debate. And that's when you kind of go, wait, wait, wait. This sounds like something we can discuss for the podcast. So yeah, so that's what brings us here is, for for lack of a better term, reasonable expectations of you know of the products that we receive when we purchase these books and other things. Um, you right. know, and, and everyone has a different level of not just expectations but of tolerance for mistakes, for things that uh, or or things they may not even notice. So. With that, then, then Keith, I mean, what what's a jumping off point uh, in, in regards to this particular topic? You know, yeah, I guess I can I can start that conversation since I do work in the industry mm-hmm. uh, as a as a freelance editor, and proofreader. Uh, so that I mean, that, I guess that's a good segue into mm-hmm. this. I mean, when when I buy a book, and I think when most people buy a book, I mean, there are some basic expectations. You know, you, you buy a book, whether it's a print-on-demand or a offset printed book that comes from a more traditional printing house or publishing house. You know, you physically, the physicality of it, you don't want it to be falling apart when you get it. I have ordered, personally, I've ordered a number of books that were print-on-demand that like spines are cracking and, you know, the glue base is coming apart and I mean that's horrible to find when I open the package and the thing is already starting to fall right. apart and I've never even opened right. it I, I know I've shown you that photographic evidence that's horrible <laughs> yeah, absolutely yes <laughs> hence why I have like five copies of <laughs> one book from drive Through RPG okay. but I mean that's just the nature of the print-on-demand beast mm-hmm. but I think I, I think the general public we can all agree that as you are reading a book if if it is not up to an individual's standards and everybody's standards do vary yes. so let's 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 call the elephant out as you know that the elephant in the room is what it is everybody has their own personal standards right. right so if you're reading a book and you're going through it you're going to notice certain technical errors or spelling errors grammat- other grammatical errors weird layout things, Mm -hmm. uh, whatever it is, things are going to jump out at you. Some are going to just, obviously you're not going to notice them or I'm going to as somebody that does editing. That's okay, but everybody has their own personal threshold on Mm -hmm. that. But if the things are so jarring that it makes your reading of a book nearly impossible or if, if you're reading like a a bit of like, say, fiction prose, right? Mm-hmm. And it's so jarring that it makes you stop right? and have to kind of come out of that immersion to think about what the hell you just read, uh, then there's a problem. Right. <laughs> you know, the, the quality, the writing quality or the editing quality isn't even up to basic standards. Okay. It needs to go back through editing or proofreading 
unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, too many things are being released these days that don't even pass that basic test. Right. <clears throat> so do, do you think that's just due to the current climate that we're in? Because, you know, considering what the situation that we're in, you know, we, we, most of us may not be aware, but there's, there's issues with shipping, there's issues with paper, there's issues with, with just getting things printed, um, that, that a lot of the quality might be overlooked just to get these products out before, you know, the, the potential, you know, sort of Damocles comes crashing down and nobody can get anything out for a while due to circumstantial issues throughout, throughout the world going on. Um, or do you feel that it's just, you know, like it's a case-by-case situation? You know, is it – and I don't want to – I'm trying my best not to point fingers. And, right, and I, and I don't want to throw – point fingers, throw shade any any particular direction, right? I think a lot of it is this new industry, right? Because right? this is – the role-playing game industry is not new, so right. – but there's a lot of new players to this industry mm-hmm. with, with the advent and the accessibility of drive-through RPG and community content programs, right. Kickstarter, and Lulu, self-publishing, yeah. Kickstarter, yeah. right? People all want to to write things and be creative and show other people that they're creative, and that's fantastic, and I love it, and I super support mm-hmm. it. Unfortunately, though, a lot of those folks can't afford proper editing, right. can't afford proper layout. Mm-hmm art right complimentary art so they're they're grabbing a lot of public domain art uh royalty free art which is not bad yeah. uh, but it's generally not the best and, and it's and i'm not saying you have to have tons and tons no. of art but it stands out i mean it, it's it's clear in a lot of the products that i have that you know whether they've hired an artist or they've gone to the public domain or or, or even right. subscribe to to several of these sites where you can you know, obtain art pieces of art to use in your work to for for publishing yeah. reasons, but right, know, it's it's and but there are, in my opinion, as somebody that does work in the industry, mm-hmm. there are three things that uh, make your product stand okay. out above above the okay, rest. Great. What's that? First and foremost, it's it's quality art. It doesn't mean you have to have a lot of volume of mm-hmm. art, but you have, in my opinion, you need good art. Okay. Okay. Quality, not quantity. Okay. okay? Second is a good layout. Okay. A quality layout uh, where you have a nice flow. It's super readable. You don't have uh, orphans and widows. If you're not familiar with the term, mm-hmm. it's where paragraph, you know, you'll, you'll have like a paragraph that runs at the end of a, a column and then it ends on the next column or the next page where there's like a sentence or a partial sentence. A paragraph starts at the end of a column. Mm-hmm. You'll have just like a partial sentence and then it carries on to another page or another column. Orphans and widows. Things like that. uh, Those are editing faux pas. Or sorry, layout faux pas. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing is just quality editing. Getting an editor that's somebody that's not the content creator. I I get it. All these things cost money. Uh, And unfortunately, you know, that's... That's reality. Things cost money, and a lot of these content creators don't have the money to spend, so they they choose to do these things themselves. They choose to do their own layout. They choose to do their own editing. Mm-hmm. Get their partner, spouse, friend to do. Uh, you know, oh, can you edit for me? Sure. Right. And they 
don't have the experience or the know the technical know-how or hey i'm about ready to release this can you proofread it sure i'll proofread i've read a bunch of rpg books sure i'll proofread Mm -hmm. it and then but then it becomes very very evident but those in my opinion those three things make a product stand out even before we get to physical things okay because i I was going to address like what i can what i would throw in as maybe the fourth and i think which would be physical which would probably be the one thing that a majority of you know the public addresses first and foremost is my book in good shape is it damaged um and is the damage due to the production of the book or is it due to the um the transportation of the book uh or you know whatever the product may be and i, I and, right. and i think that's that's an easy one usually um you know hey i opened up my book and the pages fell out that's that's a yeah. print yeah, production true, true. quality, problem. but but those yeah. are easy ones. I I, I think, and yeah. those are the ones that probably a majority of the people you know have come up against at one point in time. The other three, uh, you know, you're the other three, solid. But I and and I dare say that it's not based upon personal predilections because I mean these are solid foundations for the book. Uh, people can have a bit of opinion on how these certain things are applied. But if you're missing any one of those three, you don't really have a complete product. I think most people would agree. Um, you know, if I would like to think most people right. would agree, but obviously, I am not really a content creator. I have created some right. content, but I am more on the technical side, not the creative side. So, so I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm not a layout guy. Right. So, but we all have opinions of of layout. So, so speaking speaking of the layout scenario, <laughs> I know where this one's going. <laughs> So, I mean, and I'm not a, you know, content creator, but I mean, we all have, like I said, opinions. And even some of us may have an artistic or creative background that just just because we haven't published something doesn't mean that we can't, we don't know what, you know, what orphans are. We don't know about proper layout. We don't know about, you know, spacing and, and font and all, and all these things that right. that really aren't esoteric. They're, they're, they're just, they're, they're unifying you know, most people, this is a unifying factor that you're, most people would look at and go, ew. Uh, but yeah. but there's certain predilections involved. Um, so a, a good example, as, as far as layout is concerned, is a while back, Chaosium came out with I knew this was coming a, up. a preview of the, the up-and-coming Pendragon. Um, Pendragon 6th yes, edition. Yeah. Quick start. It's a quick start. And I think it's fair to say that a lot of the and well, a lot of the quick starts that that have been that that do come out are almost of an unfinished quality. I would say sometimes um, they're, they they tend to be copy and pasted. They tend to be you know rushed out to get there you know during a particular con or free RPG day. Um, so yeah. so certain you know they tend to come out maybe a little loosey goosey and, and a little lenient, and people tend to be more forgiving. But so in the in the preview of the um, of the Pendragon, as you know, but others may not, is they are utilizing a um, uh, illuminated um, illuminated illuminated manuscript style. And uh, once again, for those who aren't familiar, Keith, this is where there's you know the artwork is presented uh, around the perimeter of the margins of the page. Is that the best way to describe it? Or do you have a better way? Yeah. It's a border type artwork style. Right. Similar to how you would see in the, in the old books, you know, how monks would, would be creating, you know, a lot of the books as they were transcribing and making Correct. copies of the Bible or histories or things like that. And it's a beautiful format 
But is, is it conducive to good reading? Is it conducive to good layout? And one of the things that, uh, that, was, that was highlighted in this, in, the, in, this, in this layout is the, uh, the spacing of the paragraphs within the borders of this illuminated uh, script and how they were butting up against the artwork, making it, I don't know if it was difficult to read, but it just, it just unsettling, I guess, or just, just, or, or what was, do you, do you want me to mention his name or just, just leave him anonymous for at this point in time? So, um, but our, our, our communal friend, I guess. Uh, um, yeah, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our communal friend, uh, does right. lay out for, for a living, uh, for a magazine. And he mentioned, uh, mm-hmm. Because he's a fan of Pendragon, as as am I, and as is Scott, and we were we were all looking at the new sixth edition Quick Start when it first came out because it came out in PDF, and we're all like, Woo! all excited, and the uh, illuminated manuscript style, which I'm going to mm-hmm. go on record saying I like it. <laughs> Damn you all, I like it. But that's right. the European historian in me. <laughs> But there are points in it where there mm-hmm. are some vines in the because uh, it's kind of this right. entwined vine border that do creep very very close right. to the text blocks uh, of the copy of the paragraphs that uh, our, our mutual friend um, highlighted and commented on uh, that really was jarring to him as a professional. Right. Uh, that does layout. Right. Graphic artist that does layout. And, and I think his point was is that, no, this wasn't a mistake because as, as obvious as, as it was, there's no missing it. So his, his opinion was this was a conscious yeah. decision. It was a right. design, a design yeah. decision. Uh, exactly. There was so no he, mistaking he, that. Regardless, I still... I still True, but I mean, I don't have any heartburn. About let's it. let's put it this way: if 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 I was there and I was looking at this, the one thing I would do is would just shrink that text box down just a tad, so just not touching it. I mean, and, it, and that's it can be done, but but to be fair, we don't know what the final version of the the Pendragon Six Edition Quick Start box set's going to look like in terms of its the actual layout of the right the real books. Mm-hmm. The six edition hardcover books, the you know when they do the the relayout, re-release of oh what is it uh, the Great Pendragon right. campaign. We don't know what that's going to look like in terms of the the if they're going to keep the illuminated manuscript thing. That may have only been in that one particular product. They may have gotten feedback right. similar to what we're discussing and redesigned, retooled and it. As you stated, no it, it is a quick start. And you have opinions on, you know, on a lot of these quick starts, quick starts or free RPG day things that um, that fall under the same category. Yeah. Were these mistakes overlooked? Uh, were they the, a conscious decision to just let it go as is? Um, and, and things such as that. And when I say mistakes, what I'm dis- discussing with you is is obvious mistakes. So do, did you want to touch on that or do you want to m- move on to another? I don't want to touch on it too much because it relates ah, to a review that I've got coming enough. up on Rolling Boxcars for um, a specific 2021 right. Free RPG Day product uh, that I don't want to give away because it was part of a ah, Patreon poll for, for my blog. So I don't... Yes, it, it's a teaser, yes, everybody. Go, 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 go read Rolling Box Cars. cars. And... <laughs> it'll it'll yes. it'll be out there uh, in n- December. N- okay. But we can we can move over to a different product 
Okay. Quality concern. Um, so, so I. How sure. about so with the illuminated script? That is not just a layout decision, but that's an artistic decision. I, I think um, both. I mean, both yes. because of the the aspects of it being you know taking up the scope of the margin, but also because of the artwork involved in it. So, art then. Okay. So this this might be a little different than than things that are more tangible. Um, so you, you had stated choices of art. Is, is this legitimate art that's being that they, they've hired people to do to provide for the book? Does the art itself uh, portray the information that's in there? The choice of art, the and then uh, and then falling into the whole layout of it. I guess. Do you have an example of like a yes or no, or or, or something where you would just you know in regards to the artistic aspect that you that either would be so jarring to you that you would either second guess a purchase or feel like this is not what I've wanted and I might just want to return this thing and without saying the book. Just, um, I mean, if you're able to give like a, I mean, I can collectively say there was one recent Kickstarter mm-hmm. that I had the misfortune of putting eyes on okay. both in terms of art layout, it, all three of those touchstones, mm-hmm. those hallmarks that I had said that I think make a good product, decent art again, mm-hmm. quality, not quantity layout, you know, for readability and things like that, and proper, mm-hmm. decent editing. Those three touchstones, this particular thing missed Ooh, the mark okay. on every one of those. Uh, I, I mean, I'm just going to... Okay. okay. I'm just going to give it a name. I, I have to. It's, it's okay. a book called Leviathan Rising, and it is absolutely okay. shit. Uh, I was only mm-hmm. able to see the PDF of it, to give you context, to give listeners context okay. to all three points on that. Okay. First to address the art, the art just didn't, some of the art met and matched with the context of the book, right? The, the mm-hmm. themes going on in the book. And it, it was, there wasn't a right. ton of art, right? So it was, there wasn't huge quantities, but it was, it was mediocre mm-hmm. in terms of quality. Okay. That's fine. He didn't spend a, this individual didn't spend a lot of money on art, okay, but he didn't spend a lot of money on anything apparently. Uh, so art was just kind of meh, but I could deal with the art. Right. It was acceptable in Keith's personal okay. acceptance level. It was okay. Uh, as far as everything else, it, it was so subpar. If if I had had the physical book, I would have demanded an absolute refund, oh, wow. and then okay. I would have burned the book. Uh, the editing was. Mm-hmm piss poor uh when i skim through the pdf i mean just just trying to read paragraphs i mean punctuation missing sentences duplicated tenses were you know this thing would jump from active voice to passive voice okay Uh, i mean it was absolutely horrible uh and then the layout was a joke Mm -hmm. uh the pdf had and I know somebody who had the physical right. book, so I can make this comparison. So the PDF had a table of contents that listed page numbers. And the PDF has, you know, when you look at an Adobe PDF, it has page numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, you can jump page to page to page, right? But the pages themselves don't have page numbers annotated on them, on the PDF itself, right? So I asked somebody right. who had the, mm-hmm. the physical book. And they said, nope, there's no page oh, numbers on the physical wow. book. Uh <laughs> Yeah, it's a definitely like a WTF moment. Like, there's a table of contents that says, "Hey, this pa- this chapter or this section starts on page right. X." 
where is page X? There's no bloody page numbers. And then because it is an OGL product, oh. or it uses it, it, right. it functions with the OGL, mm-hmm. right? It makes use of some of the OGL. So you yep. look at the OGL license in the back. Oh, no. That was hilarious. It, uh-huh. it, it took the OGL and literally copied and pasted it in. And there was still like the bracketed text that says replace <laughs> oh, with your stuff here and that kind of stuff. I mean, I mean, this thing was so rushed and, and rushed is think. it's absolutely mm-hmm. hilarious because apparently this thing was so late in right. getting to Kickstarter backers that I don't know how this could be rushed. I mean, this guy mm-hmm. delivered, but I mean, I feel like personally, I feel like everybody that right purchased it you know through kickstarter True. Okay. got ripped yeah, off I, so all three of those things mm-hmm. that i think are the three legs of a what, what i mm-hmm. personally think are the basis of a good product before we even get to the point of printing because you can True. have a digital product or a print product right the the three things that make a good product he barely mm-hmm. met the mark on one of them and completely missed the mark on the other two and if you don't have three legs on a Very tripod, true. you're not standing. Wow, up. that okay. So that that's a so. what what you would consider. Oh no, no. Sorry if I got off on a no, tangent, and it, and it should because really I think that me. falls outside of the realm of reasonable expectations. That would that would stand up as the oh, ultimate yeah. example of absolutely not. Not here's your product back. Either fix it to make it you know to somewhat acceptable, or give me my money back. And there's there's no there's no in between. And I'm aware of several Kickstarter backers that demanded their money back after getting the physical book. Yeah, mm-hmm. the physical book, and uh, they were refunded their money. So he right. did honor okay. the publisher creator okay. did honor that request, and through mm-hmm. Kickstarter did refund their money. Uh, I know of two individuals. Uh, right. I believe there were probably more. Mm-hmm. So there's that, but but, but yeah. So there's there's that, but still, you would much rather still have that money in the bank than go through the whole process of this whole situation and then having to deal with the with the work and stress and effort of having to you know go through because it. it's it's not. I mean, something like that is blatant, but certain certain things you know, depending on people's predilections, are you know, like I asked you the question: am, am I am I asking for too much? Should I just accept what I have? And just move on, or should I, you know, ask for something that, that should reflect the the completed project as a whole? I mean, it it wasn't like in my example, it wasn't like half the book was muted. There were several pages, but you know, still, it's it's not it's not complete. Whereas this, your example was, this was just something maybe someone shouldn't have done to begin with, um, or yeah, yours your thing mm-hmm. with uh, Flames of Freedom is a print production quality country quality correct like quality yeah. assurance issue because uh, a friend of mine another listener of the podcast who happens mm-hmm. to live locally here with me her book is the same way on i think very similarly paid uh, number right. of pages to yours as well so that tells me there was a batch that went through the the mm-hmm. physical print process that had the same production quality errors okay. before it got bound. Hmm. So, so it looks like we have a, a good example of, you know, totally unacceptable. And we've got, we've got three, three to four oh, good yeah. points of 
what uh, what people should technically feel shouldn't feel guilty about addressing in these completed projects that they meet a certain expectation. But with that, as we all know, we're human, and mistakes can occur both both on the human level or on the mechanical level. And sometimes these mistakes sure. should be tolerated, I guess, to a certain degree. So with that, then, you know, we, all, we keep saying reasonable expectations. We're not right. expecting perfection, but what are some things that you feel that, you know, don't really hit the points that, you, that you've mentioned, but are still not deal breakers or you feel, well, I can, I can carry on with this and just, just use it as is. I mean, and, and a, a quick couple examples that I would have would be things that I probably wouldn't see that you would, would be uh, a lot of the editing mistakes, right? You know, punctuation, uh, right, grammatical right. errors, things that, um, that depending on the, the, the level of the person who, who is reading it is, in, you know, as, as they're, they're going through the book, will either look at it and go, oh, okay, or not even see it. It'll, it'll just pass them by. Or another example is in, in regards to the artwork, personal preferences. I mean, an example real quick is just my copy of Rackham Vale. Um, which is which is a, which is an RPG setting book designed upon the the world of um, of Arthur Rackham and his and his you know artistic paintings from from yore. But the book arrives in a black and white format. My idea of someone who's presenting a world based upon someone's art, artistic endeavors, even though they did provide the artwork, but this this man used the the uh, color as a medium. So in order to really appreciate the world that this man created with his artwork, it should be in color. Why it was, was due to monetary restraints, uh, apparently, is, is the word that I got back. But then, you know, so I looked at it and go, well, it's not ruined. The presentation is still generally good. I just wish they made the decision of color. Right. It didn't right, meet exactly. your and, 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 and it didn't warrant me yeah. going, I mean, it, it, to, to have an opinion, but not go, hey, you, you, you know, uh, this, this is crap. I want my money back because I deserve to have full color artwork. So reasonable expectations that if they're not meant that you would be okay with just going, well, maybe, you know, um, and, and I, I know of another example, but I'll, I want you to kind of touch on this first. So personally, you know, if I'm reading a book, as I, as I said earlier, if I'm okay with some, some very basic, grammatical errors i mean let's face it we are all human you know i have been part of editing teams i've been the second proofreader after it's been through two editors another proofreader and i'm the last proofreader an error still got through so it happens okay because things get introduced in final layouts Mm -hmm. whatever people tweak things things happen okay it's cool Mm -hmm. things are going to happen so as, as long as they're not so egregious and jarring to okay. your reading experience to where it makes you, as I alluded to earlier and said earlier, if it, if it causes you to have to step back and go, right. what the hell did okay. I just read? That's a problem. But if it's like, uh, that really should have a comma? No, I'm not. Okay, fine. Now, if it's right. that way through the entire book and you're noticing those okay. things perpetually as you read, uh, your your level your everybody yours mine every listener is going to have a different threshold of is that acceptable right. to each individual person uh, if I'm reading fiction you know because some of these role playing game books have correct bits of lengthy fiction in them uh, and if I'm going through it and there's jarring bits that take me out of the immersion of that fiction because 
it's like an editing artifact that causes the uh-huh. sentence flow to stop. It's two sentences where they didn't know that they wanted. There's this one and then a replacement sentence. Mm-hmm. And they didn't know which one they wanted to keep through the editing process. Right. When those things happen and they don't get cleaned up and taken out, they're mm-hmm. called artifacts. And that makes the the reading process a bad experience. You know, if that happens once, okay. But if I if I tend to see that over and over again, that tells me the person that's editing it or proofreading it is inexperienced or okay. did it free, you know, gratis. Personally, mm-hmm. I'm willing to accept some of that, depending on who the publisher is. If it's a, you know, a little indie publisher, I'm willing to accept it a little bit more because I want to be supportive of, right. of new publishers and new creators. But the more and more I see it throughout the product, okay. the less and less patient I get with it. Mm-hmm. When it comes to layout, I'm not a technical guy when right. it comes to art and layout. I, I, I'm not colorblind or anything like that, but I can't tell you good layout okay. from bad layout until I see it. So I do. I can pick out widows and orphans because mm-hmm. those things tend to stand out. I tend to glance over them a lot of times, so unless I'm specifically so sp- looking sp- for them. Specifically, like like take for example, Morkboard. Uh, you know, it's it's an artistic layout. Every page is different. Everything is going to be. Is that something oh, yes. that 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 you uh, adhere to, or uh, or or I mean, not that there's anything wrong with that, but um, are you more of like just I like the traditional layout or the typical the atypical layout? I don't mm-hmm. have a particular preference. Right. I mean, I like that art punk style because that's what Morkboard kind of calls itself is art punk. I like it. It's cool. But I also right. like the 6th edition Pendragon with its illuminated manuscript <laughs> damn near touching the copy. So, you know, and then I, again, I like lots right. of various things. I, I just, there are things mm-hmm. that I specifically don't like. Like I don't like watermarks. I right. do not like watermarks behind my copy. That is okay. visually, that is distracting to me. Um, so there are things that Keith doesn't particularly like. I wouldn't necessarily okay. ask for a refund on something like that. But if it was so distracting, mm-hmm. like the watermark was so bold with the text over it that makes it vi- nigh impossible to I, read, I, I, I've, would, I would ask And I've seen a lot of that. Sure. A lot of that in some of the older books. Um, you know, some, some of the... the Oh yeah, newer books. I've seen but, it in but, some newer books. But the books. '90s, a lot, a lot of the uh, the page mm-hmm. formatting in the '90s were just, yeah. you know, and a lot oh, of yeah. artistic designs. But readability, oof, some some of them are just go beyond the pale. Yeah, as as far as layout and art for me, mm-hmm. as long as it's still readable, I am personally okay. willing to overlook a lot of things. Mm-hmm. When it comes to readability, as far as right. editing, I'm willing to overlook mm-hmm. some stuff. If I have to scratch my head and go, what the did I just read? Uh, right. One time, two times, mm-hmm. you know, through, as I'm reading a section, I'm okay with generally. But if I have to keep doing it more than that, I'm going to get less okay. and less accepting of it. And if I find that the there's technical issues right. with the mechanics or rules, like where this rule contradicts mechanically contradicts okay. this rule because of bad editing. So, so do you consider in that aspect, uh, you know, the, the, the rule situation? Uh, we, we're all aware of several companies who come out with uh, errata after the fact, especially sometimes after even the print. That, that warrants a lot of second printings. Okay. I'm used to errata. 
Because I'm a, okay. I'm a I'm also a tabletop war mm-hmm. gamer, like Hex Encounter war games and errata files, mm-hmm. like a little PDFs okay. of errata are Which, normal. But yes, yeah, oh, but. true. I mean, and there's certain people in the industry who have kind of become the the poster child for that. Cartel um, <laughs> Sorian, but uh, you know of of you know here's here's our finished product. And here's at least two to three pages of errata after the fact. And then, of course, then an, a year or so later, here's the second printing with the errata in there. Uh, but, it seemed, but you know, certain people tend to fall into the... It, it's almost like getting a patch. You know, you get the new video game and, you know, that the same day there's a patch to fix all yeah. the bugs. I mean, and I've seen that in, in also in, in a, lot of, a lot of the Kickstarters. Yeah. You know? When you look at a lot of errata, it'll, a lot True. of it's cl- for clarity reasons. This example should reference this, or this right. page number should reference that. But when it comes to mechanical things, uh, for example, I'm not going to mention the product because it hasn't been released yet. And it was a Got it. Okay. contract project I just worked on. Mm-hmm. I was proofing okay. it, so these things should be <laughs> fixed. Um, but I was going through it, and as part of my job was to look at some of the technical aspects. So I am looking at stat blocks for this particular product and I was having to do all of the hit point calculations. I, I didn't know if they were right or not. And then when I did the hit point calculations per the the game book, I'm not going to mention what game it's for, they were some of them were correct, some of them were wrong, and some of them right. were egregiously wrong. Uh, off by one was off by like 40 or 50 hit points. Which makes a big difference. It was 40 or 50 hit points too high. One was Mm -hmm. like 20 hit points too low. So those are mechanical and technical issues. Uh, One had um, experience level that was uh, several several levels off. Not not. I mean, those aren't game changers or game breakers, but. As a game master, if I'm just supposed to grab this stat block right. and drop it into my game and go and run with it, the expectation is mm-hmm. the creator did it right. The editor or whoever's listed as editors and proofreaders check these things and everything is right. And I'm able to, as a game master, I'm able to just grab it and go. I think that is a right. general exactly. consumer expectation. I think that sums it mm-hmm. up, whether it's... For D and D, Pathfinder, Call of Cthulhu, mm-hmm. uh, Morkborg, Liminal, any indie game, any game out there it doesn't matter. Z- Hero Quest, Zines, Twilight 2000, even Bazin, the Zines. it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, whatever it is. I mean, the expectation is if you're going to put it out there, right? Grammatical stuff aside, okay? Because English proofreaders, like UK proofreaders, do it differently because they look at things differently than American proofreaders, than Spanish language proofreaders, and so we all have like different schools true, of true. things that we look at, right? Mm-hmm. But when it comes to like the technical bits, right, you got to get that shit right, man. You got to that. That is absolutely you got to be Perfect. spot on with that stuff. Examples, okay, cool. You're you're referencing yeah. a wrong page. Fine, whatever. Fix that in an errata file or mm-hmm. clarify that example or, oh, well, that's supposed to be, a, you know, that that spell's supposed to get or that magic weapon's supposed to be a plus two, mm-hmm. not a plus one. Okay. okay. Probably should have been fixed and caught. But when it comes down to the nitty gritty mechanical bits, the things mm-hmm. that actually make the game work and function 
right. hardcore rules, those need to be in line, lock, right. stock, o- Otherwise, and expect the word people go. to come at you or come towards you and say, hey, this product's unfinished and potentially either want a refund or want to exchange it or, or demand you, you, you make these particular yeah. changes because you should. Yeah. Because if I tell you this shit's half-baked and put right. the damn thing back in the oven and finish cooking right. it. You should know better. There's I a mean, reason. Because there's plenty of examples out there. Yeah. There's, there's plenty of things that, that people can, can look at to get a clear idea of how things work or what doesn't. So, well. Yeah. No, 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 okay, no. Okay, I'm going to get off. I, Keith's no, no, get this, off this is fine. This now. has been Inside Baseball with Keith. Uh, well, welcome to the Keith Show. No, this is <laughs> fine. This, this, this particular subject I knew was going to be a, a, a little bit one-sided just because of your experience, um, you know, your professionalism with that and just, just being in the, the muck and the mire of it all. Go ahead. All right, but I have one last question for you. Mm-hmm. What is your preference, mm-hmm. print on demand or offset printed? I prefer the offset printing, and this Why? may have no bearing whatsoever. It, it just, it just to me, it feels like there's a better physical quality to the book, um, even though there may not be. I, I, I could be completely off on that. It, it could be something that I've just concocted in my mind. But, but to me, the the the, the offset printing seems to be of of a better quality, I have less uh, an, an anticipation of the fact is, you know, in, if I open this book, are the pages going to remain in there the more I use it? Am I able to, you know, when I open the book, is, is, there's going to be a better chance of it laying flat and being usable. Uh, whereas print on demand, I don't know, it, it almost seems like several of the print on demands that I would get from drive through uh, hardback, uh, softback, very widely. In their quality, um, you know, I, 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 yeah, yeah, okay. I'm not the only one. No, I'm sure no, I, I could order the exact same too. book from Drive Through or Lulu, for that matter, and set them down side by side, and they be have wildly different aesthetics to them, um, as opposed, you know, where where the print quality is, is you know, is the image, you know, offset a little bit. The pages, you know, was was this. Uh, you know, where the or is this the quality of the, of the glue when it was everything held together or when it was stitched or whatever? You know, the same exact book, boom. Just what happened here? Why is why is this cover <laughs> uh, slightly to the right? But yeah, I'll, okay. You know, I, I, I that's how I feel. But that that is that is an exception, not the rule. As many people who have recently received their 40th edition Call of Cthulhu book can attest to. But uh, but yeah. So oh. I, does oh, yes. does does that answer your question? I am not I'm not I'm not wrong and just you know it it's, does. It's like it, it just does. feels better. No no, <laughs> it, it feels better. It does. I, I'm a, I'm a fan of uh, right. I'm, a, I'm personally a fan of offset printed books. So because mm-hmm. they are they are one off printed mm-hmm. books. Each each book is printed. The sections are printed and then they're they're stitched together and then the case wrap right. covers put on that type of stuff. It has a process where print on demand books mm-hmm. are literally high speed printed like a giant photocopier is basically what it comes out of a print file obviously but it's but it's basically right, like a high exactly. speed photocopier and then they're bound you know they're put together they're glued they're cut but, and yeah that's but that's then that that falls into the, the whole realm of reasonable like. expectations i i paid 12 bucks for this this pod right. of, of a right, 12 dollars exactly, you know of, of a game that doesn't exist yeah exactly yeah. exactly or 50 dollars but, but i i would rather so, that again there be print on demand options for the, all those particular reasons, instead of just having the you know offset printing only. Oh, absolutely! It gives us a wider. It gives us Correct. access to a wider array of materials, 
that we would not normally right. otherwise exactly. have. Exactly. And and, and because of the savings that we get in that, there's certain things that I, you know, it, you know, if the page is slightly to the left a little bit, I will forgive that more than the, you know, the $150 Kickstarter that I received and, you know, the pages are muted. You should know better. Um, yes. Agreed. But uh so, yes, so I think <laughs> we, we, we've talked, you know, long into this, and I, I think we've covered a lot of good points. Uh, we, we, we've, we've addressed a bit, you know, a bit of the, the, the expectations that you and I both have when it comes to product quality. Uh, but uh, what, what do our listeners think? Uh, what, what, what are some, what are your right. expectations? What are, what are some, uh, you know, when it, in regards to when you receive your product, what are some tolerable le- levels of expectations you have? What are some things that you don't mind? Um, or even what are some things that you never even really thought of before that, uh, that you completely overlook um, or some things we didn't mention? Yeah, Scott, I think you're right. I think it's a good time to move over to the Your Side of the Mic segment. It's time for your side of the mic. Last episode, we asked your opinion about player agency and horror games, and we received some responses. And we'd like to share just a few of those with you. First up, we have Graham, who sent us a voicemail providing his perspective about horror at the gaming table. Hi, Scott. Hello, Keith. Thanks for episode two. Interesting stuff. Great podcast. Some of my favourite horror scenarios are where the characters retain their agency, but what the story builds to is being faced with a terrible choice. Do you do a bad thing for a good reason? How much are you prepared to sacrifice to prevent something terrible from happening? I use these sorts of questions, often in generic systems, to invoke horror. So a player who has to disfigure their character to enact an ancient ritual usually thinks twice before taking that knife to their own face. If you have to cut off your own eyelids to see the truth, perhaps you really don't want to see it. I'll give you a great example at the heart of the Fairyland scenario by Scott Dawood. I ran that using Cthulhu Dark. Spoilers ahead. The daughter of a player character is replaced by a duplicate, as have other children in the village, and the new child is both terrifying and coldly vulnerable. The villagers, afraid of the violence the child can inflict, suggest that they must care for the new child and guide them towards good. And in the epilogue, the child never ages and slowly, in its own terms, bonds with the parent. Years later, the parent, on their deathbed, feels life slipping away as this child watches with that same calm curiosity it's looked at everything for the past four decades. But in our final scene, we see the place where this all started, Hobbs Wood, with its fairy circle, and below, the cave beneath it, where amongst the rock, there stands liquid-filled cylinders dimly illuminated with green and blue energy. 
and creatures of shadow observe with compound eyes glittering. They too have that calm curiosity. And we move to a cylinder that has stood here for 40 years and inside it floats the brain of an eight-year-old girl. Here, where you left her, in the dark. She still screams. After some rather lengthy negotiations, Scott's wife, Julie, has been contracted to narrate a listener's email. Hi, Julie here. Scott asked if I would read a summary of an email response from Jim McCarthy, and so here goes. Jim writes, Thanks, guys. A good solid number two. Great work and this discussion that often comes up in the games I run, mainly investigative games, so that's what I focused on in my response. How much player agency is right for a horror investigative RPG? I think the parameters you have to take into consideration include, but are not limited to the below. The A, the style of game. Investigation RPGs require a certain amount of railroading, hence games like Trail of Cthulhu has drives to explain why you signed up for this in the first place. You had no choice. This is what you were born to do. That said, even investigative games can be designed to give the appearance of choice, whereas non-investigation RPGs, you would expect more freedom to develop characters, to forge your own path, etc. B. The setting expectation. Call of Cthulhu literally says on the tin, you are going to die. The odds are never in your favor. These are alien gods you are up against, chewing their way through solar systems and changing the fabric of the universe. The most you can hope for is to live out your days in peace, oblivious to the creeping, slimy, mind-blasting denizens at the end edge of your knowledge. Assuming you've read the blurb, you've signed up for everything that happens to you. C. The players. Know your players. Are you at a horror RPG con or a D&D con? Are you running for the home group that you've played with since school or some random folks from the inner blurb? Do your players love the knuckle-clenching roller coaster ride of a good horror movie? Are they even fans of the genre? You could be in for a tough time as investigative games can be hard to sponta- be spontaneous with, but there are ways around this. So in summary, really great discussion. I'd love to hear back from others on how they address this because it does feel hard to do. A, run investigative horror campaigns and B, balance player agency with exposing the mystery and not overwhelming the GM with prep. And Jim closes with, Oh, and if you've played the D-Sanction, please tell me what to do when one of your players is a lecturer in history and you wondered if you just invented the Postal Service 100 years too early. Q, snorts of derision. All the best, Jim. And I have no idea what I just read. And finally, we have Ludovic, who sent us a 10-minute audio file. Due to time constraints, we are presenting an abridged version in which we focus on his perspective regarding the use of mechanics in horror games. First, uh, great job recommending games that are out of the beaten path, uh, so to speak. That was nice. Uh, The fact that half the games you recommended are games that don't have any so-called horror mechanics that you talk about is kind of a giveaway, in my opinion, that first, you don't need mechanics for everything. You can have a horror or investigation or a conspiracy or a comedy game without specific mechanics for these things. 
because they are less a type of a game for me as they are a collection of tropes or a style of storytelling or play that you can put on top of something. Is there a difference between a horror game and a game with horror-themed adventures? My guess is there isn't much of a difference and it sounds like you might be on the same page and... But frankly, who cares? As long as players are scared of opening the cellar door, or as long as the player are shocked by some corruption of the mind or body or overtaking somebody, as long as the players are frightened or stressed or horrified, it's a horror game to me. And you do not need mechanics to manifest an emotional response. You can do that purely by storytelling. I mean, that's what books have done for like ever. Now, sure, special game mechanics might help, or they might not, uh, they might get in the way, so who knows? Who cares? Now, if we look at some specific game with those so-called horror mechanics, the, the two that I know best are, of course, Call of Cthulhu and uh, Alien RPG. For Call of Cthulhu, the 7th edition rule actually say this about Bouts of Madness. It is up to the Keeper whether this control takes the form of dictating specific action or if it means giving the player guidelines on how to play out the madness for however long it may last. And the rules suggest either rolling on the madness or phobia table or choosing something appropriate. The Alien RPG is more prescriptive about this, though the GM is supposed to roll on the tables and apply the result. But I think the Stress mechanic is super cool first and super well adapted to the tropes of that specific uh, franchise. That it works well, uh, mostly because unlike Call of Cthulhu's sanity mechanics, first alien stress mechanics have a positive side because adrenaline boosts your ability and gives you extra die until you crash, that is. Um, so it's kind of a push your luck kind of game, I guess. Also, um, you can actually counteract this and recover your uh, agency pretty quick compared to Call of Cthulhu because it only takes somebody, for example, succeeding, uh, succeeding a command role to snap you out of it. So you can manage it if only as a group. So thank you. Happy Halloween. And don't read that book out loud. You don't know where it's been. All right. So today we talked about product quality expectations with our new books. What are your expectations? What do you find acceptable and unacceptable? Call in, leave us a message, and tell us what you think. All right, listeners, thank you for listening to episode three. We appreciate your patience with uh, with me being up on my soapbox for this episode and Scott's patience for letting me be up on the soapbox. Hey, hey, put that hammer down. You are not destroying my soapbox or me, uh, but no. But seriously, thank you. Uh, we appreciate you listening, and uh, hopefully, you've learned a few things. Uh, that was kind of the purpose of this. Mm-hmm. And as for our next episode coming up, grab yourself your favorite warm scarf, a hot cup of peppermint flavored coffee, because next month, as we all know, is the reason for the season. So look for that, and also some special stocking stuffers to boot. Take care, everyone. Till then, happy gaming. Happy gaming. Tell me, have you seen the yellow